today about parenting, what a blessing it is. And um, don't get too comfortable because we're going to have you stand for the scripture reading, which is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. This is a very important text to the Jewish people, uh, and it is the central core part of their morning and evening prayers. Uh, And it is a great text, and it was a great challenge to them. And so we are going to uh, realize that it's a great challenge to us as believers. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, let's all stand for the reading of God's Word. After I'm done reading, uh, we'll bow together in prayer. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God, with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, And they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. May God bless his word. Let's bow in prayer. Father, again, we are so privileged and blessed to be a part of this service today. And as we hear how you opened the womb and blessed. And as Johnson said, Father, your timing is like clockwork. You are in control, and what a blessing that we can fall back on that. Uh, Lord, I'm so grateful, uh, having understood exactly what this precious couple went through. I'm grateful that your grace is able to sustain us during those times of disappointment. And uh, Father, that uh, you are a good God, and every good and perfect gift comes from above, and that would include little... Jelena Sweetie Kirkula, we lift her up to you. We ask you to bless her and grant her a long life. We ask you to put a hedge of protection around her and uh, help her as she grows to learn to love you. And uh, we also pray, Father, for Johnson and Tonia again, that you would just give them wisdom, help them to seek you. Uh, Lord, I know that parenting will stretch them and challenge them. Uh, but Lord, what a what a blessing to not only just see a new life entered into this world, but as a parent, to be able to have fellowship with your children. And I just pray, Father, that you would bless them and bless her. And we commit her to you and them. In Jesus' precious name, amen. And you may be seated. Thank you, folks, for coming today. If you closed your Bible, please open them again. Same place, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 that we as parents are supposed to uh, train our children, bring them up, is the way it's worded, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And the word nurture in that text in Ephesians 6 is an interesting term. In fact, we're going to be talking a little bit more about it tonight in a different context. It's the same word that's translated to train or to disciple. And that's what God is doing with all of us. He is discipling us. 
and the word discipline and the root and the word disciple have the same root term. And uh, we tend to get our mind fixated on the fact that discipline is simply it's just punishment for doing bad. And oh, it is so much, not just more than that, but it's not even that. I mean, discipline, discipleship, no, you know, chastening does have that correction aspect. But the word nurture is a beautiful term to describe that. And so our challenge as parents is to bring our kids up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Three things we're going to look at this morning. Number one, God's exhortation to parents. What God told Israel way back when is absolutely uh, applicable to today. Uh, For us, the challenge to love the Lord with all our heart. That's your challenge as a parent. If you and I are going to be good parents, we've got to love the Lord. And then we have to convey that love for the Lord to them. Now we're going to look this morning at this initial exhortation to the Jews and then we're going to fast forward and we're going to see how they initially started out doing that and then they lost their way. They they lost their way on a very precious challenge to love God, and to impart that love for God to their kids. And over the years, they got distracted, and they became fixated, not on the heart, but on the externals. And it ended up just being disastrous. And so we're going to learn today as parents um, the importance of loving the Lord first, and of... Carrying out this challenge. So look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. This, is, this, uh, this text, this exhortation to Israel, is referred to as the Shema Israel. That's the first two words in this part of the Torah. And it's translated in our English. That's the Hebrew way, uh, way to say that, the two words. Uh, it's translated in our English versions, beginning in verse 6. Hear, O Israel. It's again called the Shema Israel. That's their the central part of their prayers, uh, important parts of their prayers. So let's look at this exhortation. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now verse 5 begins the challenge. And thou, parents, thou shalt love the Lord with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Now by the way, when Jesus was asked, What's the greatest commandment? You know what he went to? Right here. This is it. And then he said, The second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two things hang all the law and all the prophets. So this is important. This challenge. So let's look at it again. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Parents, and Johnson and Tonia, uh, that's your biggest challenge right there, just to love the Lord. Uh, You know, it has often been said, and I agree with this, and I've repeated it many times, 
the best thing that a father can do for his children is to love their mother. I love that saying. But the best thing parents can do for their children is to love God. And now, he says in verse 7, And thou shalt teach them diligently. Under the, these word, Verse 6, These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Now, uh, the writer of the writer here is going to uh, the next several chapters is going to expound on the blessings of walking with the Lord versus the curses of not walking with the Lord, and that's what he's referring to when he says um, these words which I command thee. It's including all the next few chapters. It's very much like a parent would sit down with a child and go over some ground rules. Now, sweetie. Sweetie, how appropriate. Don't, don't cross the street. Don't go into the street because it's very dangerous. And, and just, you know, those basic ground rules just to keep you safe. Any parent that loves their child is going to communicate with them and do things that are going to help them. You know, don't be careful around strangers, all those things. And that's the heart of what God is doing to Israel. He's saying, I want you to love me with all your heart. And if I want to bless you. That was the big, if you can see the heart of God here, he wanted to bless Israel. But he knew if they, if they walked away from him, there was, it wasn't going to be a blessing. And that's what he was laying out. So again, verse 7, Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them. And here's where he gets real practical. He's basically saying, listen, I want to be real in your life, parent. And I want to be real in your children's life. But I want them to see that I'm real in your life. So, what do you do? You teach them to your children. You talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. In other words, just just be real. Love me and, and make me a part of your life. Verse 8. Now here's, here's where it got tricky. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. Now folks, this is not necessarily a, a literal challenge. Okay, I want you to take my, what I'm about to say, I want you to write it on your doorposts. I want you to write it on your head. He, he's saying, I want, I, want, I want my word, I want the things I'm saying to you, I want them to matter to you. And I want them to be a part of your everyday lives. And that's the challenge. That is the challenge. Today, it, we live in a day that people don't love God and they don't love His Word. Uh, it used to be in America that, in fact, there was an article I read there's a, 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 actually a book, um, a book that came out called Christian Parenting. And this guy, uh, David Satran, did a, he studied all the different phases of American history, from our colonial days to the Victorian era, all the way up to present day. And he just used examples of Christian parents and, and what they did and what they implemented in raising their children. And it's, it's a very helpful book. But he also talked about how in older times, 
There were so many helps to help us along with the Bible to instruct our children. There was something called McGuffey's Reader, which was teaching basic English, but it used the Bible. There was something called the, um, what was it called? The Bay Psalm Book. In fact, that was the very first printed book in British America back in the 1800s. The very first printed book was basically the book of Psalms put to meter and song. And it was in every house. All the schools had it. It was to teach them the Psalms in, in song, basically. And if you look through American history, anyone that wanted to be a lawyer, you use Blackstone's commentaries, which were basically you know, expositions of the scriptures and the law, Romans, teaching people how to become lawyers based on God's word. Even Noah, Noah's, Noah Webster's dictionary, the very first dictionary, 1828, was filled with scriptural references. In fact, the Bible is most quoted than any other source in Webster's dictionary. Now, if you have today's, the latest Webster's dictionary, I, I don't think you're even going to find one scripture in there. You know, times have changed. So when we pray for Johnson and Tonia and for one another as parents, we've got to keep in mind the day that we live. I want to read uh, an article, part of an article, about one family, and this is very typical, sadly, today. And in this article, in a Christian magazine, they changed the name of the the parents and the daughter to keep you know, protect the privacy of the family. So these are just made-up names. But here's what the article says. It's, it says, Wisconsin mother Stacy Adams was in her bedroom folding clothes when her 12-year-old daughter Amy walked in with a smirk on her face. Stacy recognized the look right away. It was the one Amy's always wore when she was uncomfortable. Parents are able to read things like that, you know. With her arms folded in front of her, shoulders shrugged, and in an unusually timid voice, Amy asked her mother to take her to a medical facility. She said, this is her mom now quoted, she said she was sad, and you know, she felt worthless, and she didn't know if she was a girl. Not knowing what else to do, Stacy checked her daughter into an inpatient mental health facility the next day. Amy stayed for eight days and came home angry. They told my daughter that I was going to be her biggest adversary in all of this. And I would probably never accept her for who she really is. So when she came home, I was her enemy. That is sad. See, it used to be that all the different professions out there would support and be subservient to a parent's role in training their child. Stacy told counselors at the mental health facility that she thought of their treatment, what she thought of their treatment plan. You can call her whatever you want, but I have a daughter and her name is Amy. And until somebody starts asking her the questions that need to be asked, she's going to come home and that's how I'm referring to her. Ultimately, school officials refused to honor Stacy's request that Amy not be called by the male name and pronoun she had chosen. 
A school counselor told Stacy the school's policy was to treat students as the gender they identify with. That means allowing them to use restrooms and locker rooms associated with that gender and referring to them by the name and pronouns they chose. If Stacy didn't go along, listen to this. And this, you know how there, there was a big push a couple years back about anti-bullying? Guess who's bullying now? They told Stacy if she didn't go along with it, and any harm Amy caused herself would be Stacy's rep- responsibility. In other words, they're putting pressure on her that because that she's not willing to accept what the daughter embraces, any harm Amy does, you're going to be responsible. I wonder how many people in the the healthcare and the public community, public schools, I wonder how many of them are going to take responsibility when a child takes their own life because they followed their corrupt, bizarre philosophy. You see, it, this is bullying. They're bullying parents. I think we need to turn it around. Later on in the article, I made this statement. Parents write to... Uh, Parents' right to control the upbringing and education of their children is grounded in the Constitution's 14th Amendment. I want to stop for a minute. Um, we recently at the PRBC conference in State College came, uh, passed a few resolutions. In fact, one of them is about, uh, in fact, I, this only one, there was four, four resolutions that we passed. One of them is on the back table. Gore had refer- made reference of abortion in America, uh, and that resolution that we just came out with is the state of abortion in Pennsylvania since the overturning of Roe v. Wade. So it's a little update on what's going on in our state regarding, you know, since Roe was overturned. And so I'd encourage you to get that. Another one that we passed was uh, titled Resolution on the Origin of Human Rights. I want to read part of it to you because it's kind of a a caveat of what they said. Again, in this article it said, parents' right to control the upbringing and education of their children is grounded in the Constitution's 14th Amendment. Here's what part of the resolution says. Whereas we often speak of our constitutional right to free speech or our constitutional right to bear arms as if the Constitution is what grants us our rights. And whereas... A misunderstanding of where our rights come from often undermines many of our political debates and policy-making decisions. And whereas this misconception has led many to look to the government to grant favors, though it is not their place to do so. And whereas this entitlement perspective of government is a result of a lack of understanding regarding our founding documents the Declaration of Independence, and the Constitution of the United States of America, as well as our founding fathers, who viewed government not as the benevolent grantor of rights, but rather a necessary evil, preferable to anarchy, but still a potential threat to liberty. Whereas, America's separation from the British Empire was the first time a people declared their own independent right to found a political community based not upon heritage or wealth or quote-unquote divine right of kings, but, but on the, upon the sovereignty of the people. 
Therefore, be it resolved that we, the messengers of the Pennsylvania Association of Regular Baptist Churches, meeting in State College, September 12th through the 13th, do hereby acknowledge that rather than granting our rights, the United States Constitution protects our God-given rights from government. That's an important thing. Let me read that again. Uh, We do hereby acknowledge that rather than granting us our rights, the United States Constitution protects our God-given rights from government. We resolve that as stated in the Declaration of Independence, we are endowed by our Creator with these unalienable rights, not the government. And we also resolve that the First Amendment phrase, Congress shall make no law regarding, states that the government has no rightful authority over those things listed, but rather is blocked from infringing upon the rights of every American citizen. So what we articulated in that was, first of all, the Constitution doesn't give us our rights. God does. Now, thankfully, the, the Constitution of the United States, such as First and Second Amendment, such as the 14th Amendment, articulates those God-given rights. And folks, the responsibility and the right for little, precious baby Jolina Sweetie Kirkula falls on two people, Johnson and Tania. God gave them that responsibility. And if anyone comes in and tries to tell them, you know, that they can't do whatever is their God-given right, folks, that's a major violation. We need to realize that. So we live in a day now where parental rights are, are now trying to be ripped from us. And that should concern us. Now, let's take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter um, let's see. I, I'm, I'm conscious of time here, so let's go to Matthew chapter four. Matthew chapter four. This is the, um, the, the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. It's also found in Luke chapter 4. Uh, I've been debating on which one I'm going to take you to, but I said Matthew, so we're going to go to Matthew. But here's what I want you to see. What we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6 was God's sharing His heart and exhorting Israel to love Him with all their heart, And then to impart that love to their children. Now, when Jesus comes along, in fact, let me keep your place in Matthew. Let me just read a scripture in uh, in Matthew, but a different place. Matthew 23. Jesus is now speaking to the Jews, the religious leaders. We're talking over a thousand, many hundred years after God exhorted Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And now you see that what God said to them back in Deuteronomy 6 got twisted. And now here's Jesus condemning the religious people. And listen to what he says in Matthew 23 and verse 1. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to the disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. 
But now here's the here's the stinging rebuke. Do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. You know what that's called? A hypocrite. Somebody who says one thing and does another. They bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. And here's, don't lose me here. They say, Jesus said, they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. Pause there for a minute. And love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. They love the glory that went with being religious leaders. And he said to them, you outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Now what was Jesus saying in this condemnation? He said, you make broad your phylacteries. What is that? The Hebrew phrase that goes back to that, of course, for a phylactery is literally a prayer filament. And it goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. So let's, again... um, If you don't have your, I'll just read it. I'll go back to Deuteronomy 6. It says, Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. In other words, he's saying, Keep my law, keep my word before you. And they did that initially. But as time wore on, they began to not fixate on the challenge, love me with all your heart. But they began to love him with all their externals. And that's what they did. And so you know what they, a prayer, you know what a phylactery is? They're literally, literally, like I said, prayer filaments, usually made of parchment or paper, and they have four they have four passages of scripture literally written out on them. They were Exodus thirteen nine. No, no, no. Let me back up. Exodus thirteen one through ten is one. There's four sections. Then Exodus thirteen eleven through sixteen. Then the text we read in Deuteronomy six four through four through nine. The Shema Israel. That's another one. And then the fourth one is Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 21. So those are four passages. And they're literally put either in a long strip of leather or in a box. And they literally put them, right? If you've seen like an Orthodox Jew, they have these things that are dangling in front of them. And in their mind, that is a... And they had them in Jesus' day. In fact, they even made them bigger than what they initially started out. Because the Jews, certain Jews, the ones Jesus was condemning, love to be seen of men. And like they're saying, hey, I follow Deuteronomy chapter 6, because look, I even have God's word right in front of my eyes, just like he said. And Jesus was so harsh on them. Again, he said to them, they outwardly, in fact, in that text that I read, it says, In verse 28, even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. You know the best thing a parent can do for their child 
is to just be real. Now, God wants us to love Him, but He wants us to love, us, love Him in truth. And you know what? The biggest danger today in a Christian home is that parents, like the Pharisees, focus on the externals and become so preoccupied with how things look that they miss the heart. And, it, and, and the danger, folks, Paul said this in Corinthians, he said, we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with those who can commend themselves. For they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. See, when you start to compare, because you don't know what's going on in people's heart, whenever you compare, and it's so natural, it's, a, it's human to do that, but it's dangerous. Because when you're comparing, you're only looking at their externals. Facebook has, has, has put this on steroids. You ever notice that people's Facebook profiles, it's like, wow, I'd love to live like them. Well, so would they. You know? <laughs> they really would. They, you know, they always put their best foot forward. And, and you don't see when, when you just look at externals then, and you get caught up in that. If you start measuring yourself by the externals, then it's going to be all based on how things look. And you know what? God would rather have us be genuine than trying to appear better than we are. Folks, you know, we all, we all have problems. And we all, and our kids see that. Do not be plastic in front of your children. Do not, because then you're, you're conveying a false narrative to them. Just be real. Try to love the Lord. Your love for the Lord is going to be imperfect. Their love for the Lord is going to be imperfect. Guess what? We've got a whole family of imperfect people just wanting to love the Lord, stumbling along, but lifting one another up. That's the way it ought to be. Now now we go to Matthew 4. Is that where you're at, Matthew or Luke? You're in Matthew? All right, Matthew chapter 4. So what happened now is the Jews blew it when it came to Scripture application. And Jesus laid into them. Now what I, want, what I want to see now as we close on this is, so what's God's response to that? Because I submit to you, the devil is a tricky one. And I want you to look at when Jesus is tempted by the devil in the wilderness. I want you to look. So Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Matthew chapter 4, it says in verse 1, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. Yeah, I guess he was. And when the tempter came, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. There's the temptation. There's the presentation of evil. But, this is now, this is Jesus' response in verse 4. But he answered and said, It is written. Where is it written? What's he quoting? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. How did Jesus respond? 
to this temptation of the devil? By quoting what? Scriptures. The sword of the Spirit? That's our example, folks. Now look at the next. Verse 5. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written... Oh! He, he picked it up. He's, used, he's trying to use the Scriptures, right? It's twisted. Um, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Now, the devil is so clever... Here's what he wants to do. He wants to get you away from the Scriptures. To either think the Scriptures are insufficient, the Scriptures are dangerous. But what I want you to notice is Jesus' response. Did Jesus get all flustered? Like, oh no, he's quoting the Scriptures too. And by the way, he was misquoting. He was he was. Using things out of the context. Look at verse 7. Jesus said unto him, It is written. Folks, the answer to corrupted teaching is not to go away from the Word of God. It's to go back to the Word of God. But the devil is so clever that he gets... The people that twist the scriptures to their own destruction, he will use that to get people to say, well, you can't trust the Bible and to go away from the Bible. There are so many people out there that as soon as they hear the Bible quoted, they shut down their thoughts because they've heard the Bible abused. Satan is so clever. If he can get you to turn away from the scriptures... He succeeded. But notice that Jesus did not flinch. Jesus did not say, Oh no, he's quoting my book. Well, I better try another direction. No. He rightly quoted the scriptures. And by the way, folks, that's the way you and I are to respond to error. Don't step down from a a fight when somebody's using scripture as a weapon out of context. Remember, Paul, Peter, or Paul, yeah, Peter wrote of Paul's writings, and we looked at this in Bible study last week, that there's some of his writings that are hard to be understood. So Peter said, some of Paul's writings are hard to be understood. But notice what he didn't say. He didn't say some of Paul's writings are impossible to be understood. They're hard. You've got to be a, a student, rightly dividing the word. But the the scriptures are understandable. It's up to you and I to be a Berean and make sure that someone's not distorting it. Don't forget that. Yes, the Pharisees twisted the scriptures. Jesus' response? To rightly quote the sword of the Spirit. And that's our tool as well. I want to close with this. It's a, it's a letter that I've read many times because I see more and more a danger in fundamentalism where we become focused on the externals and how things look 
become more important than how things really are. This is a letter written by a young man who, this is old enough that he's probably, you know, he was, he was a, a teenager here, late teenager. He's probably now in his 30s, maybe. Um, but he wrote to, and, and I'm not sure whether this is just a made-up name, name. I found it online a long time ago. But it was written to a Pastor Schmidt. So any, any similarity to a Pastor Schmidt that you know, uh, you know, might, might not be true, Okay. But here's what this young man said. And by the way, this could be written by so many young people in fundamental Baptist circles. And I want to quote real quickly. Charles Spurgeon quoted Proverbs. You know that Proverbs says, train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Spurgeon quoted that. Train up a child in the way he should go, but you make sure you're going that way too. I like that. Isn't that good? So here's what, Here's what uh, this young man said to Pastor Schmidt. Dear Pastor Schmidt, I am a junior at a well-known Christian college. I grew up in highly respected fundamental independent Baptist churches and went to excellent Christian schools. My father has been a Christian worker since before I was born. Though I did make a profession of faith when I was very young, I didn't get saved until I was 17. Since I was 12 and now on into college... I have struggled with serious issues. And I found out when I went to college that I'm not the only good kid who is or has struggled with or is still struggling with serious stuff. I got news, kid. Your parents are probably struggling with serious stuff too. You know? Our parents did not spend time teaching us to love God. Our parents put us in Sunday school since K-4 What's K for? That doesn't matter. Our parents took us to church every time the doors opened and sent us to every youth activity. They made sure we went to good Christian colleges. They had us sing in the choir, help in the nursery, go ushering, go soul winning. We did teen devotionals and prayed over every meal. We did everything right, and they made sure we did. But they forgot about our hearts. They forgot about the Bi- that, that the Bible... Uh, let me go on. He says, um, our fathers don't... The responsibility was laid at the feet of our fathers and and mothers. Unfortunately, our fathers don't have time for us. They put us where we were surrounded by the Bible, but they didn't take time to show us that God was important enough to them to tell us personally about Him. So to us, and this is the sad commentary, that every parent needs to avoid. So to us, Christianity has become a religion of externals. Do all the right stuff and you're a good Christian. So some of us walk away from church. Some of us stay in church and fill a pew. But many of us struggle with stuff that our parents have no idea about because they hardly know us. I think these problems stem from first our detachment from our parents and second our misunderstanding about the essence of Christianity that it is a relationship not a list of rules. I worry that many young people like me are not even saved because of their misunderstanding of Christianity. And I say amen to that. That is one of our biggest dangers. Is to you know, be more concerned with how things look. Than just walking with God and loving God. I want you to pray today for Johnson and Tonia. And every other parent in Bible Baptist Church. And it is such a, a blessing. And we're going to have another child dedication within the next month or two, I'd say. A uh, little cutie named Hatier. Some of you may have heard of her. 
Um, and it's it's going to be a blessing. But so I'm I'm putting both these. Just you know, we were closed for for quarantine. We didn't have the nursery. We weren't, and then we just started it up, and we just these are new babies, and it reminded me of how precious. If you get to see those little ones back there, if you if you leave church every time and you just go out the front door, and you never get to go back and see these precious little ones. Just leave the back way today and just look at these precious ones. They are, I mean, we've got the most adorable batch of young people than I've seen in a long time. I mean, they, no, no offense on our kids, you guys that are older, uh, but you'd be praying for these precious lives. Because you know what? Every time a soul is born into this world, they, uh, the, the spiritual battle takes on a different meaning now. Because there's another soul that is now part of the spiritual battle. And Satan is that person. Satan is that person's adversary. Not the parents. And so we need to be praying and doing spiritual battle with these parents. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I want to again lift up before you, Johnson and Tonia. And I want to thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you uh, for giving Johnson the, the, the strength to be able to encourage his wife with uh, that, the statement of faith that, that God is like clockwork and his timing. Thank you, Lord, for allowing him to communicate that to his wife. And then, Father, the, the blessing. Sure enough, he was trusting in your goodness and maybe he didn't feel like it all the time. But, Lord... You are good. And now we see that as we see this precious little one. And so, Lord, we lift them up to you. We ask you to bless them. Bless them as they raise their child. And as Gore prayed, Father, bless this child that, they would, that she would come to know Christ at a young age and walk with you. And we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.